everyone, and welcome to the Three Crosses podcast. This is Pastor Buzz Hannon, pastor for young adults and families here at Three Crosses Church, and I hope that you have had as much fun listening to these podcasts as I have had making them. As you know, we've been going through our series about the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, 4 through 9, about hearing and knowing God and loving Him with our heart and mind and soul and strength. And I remember growing up, I grew up in a church, very similar to Three Crosses in some ways, in that we really valued studying the Bible. That was the foundation for everything. And it just kind of seemed like the more verses I could learn and the more time that I logged reading the scripture, like that was the real way to God. And I still believe that by and large, like there's no substitute for the written word of God and time spent in there. That is the revelation of God to us today. It's amazing and it's a gift and we should lean in there. In fact, our first of these Three Crosses podcasts that we've done on the Shema series was with my colleague, Dr. Lyons, and he shared with us so many resources for Bible study and enriching our study life and studying and loving the Lord with our mind, our head in many ways. This episode, today though, we wanted to try to provide a little bit of a balance to that as we continue to walk out what it means to love God with our heart and mind and soul and strength and all of these different things that are involved with loving the Lord. Loving the Lord with our heart is a big one. And I have to be honest, not one that I feel like is my strongest suit. I still love to love the Lord with my mind and read and study and think and kind of in a way hold God at arm's distance. And that's why I brought on our guest today, Dr. Matt Olson, one of my other colleagues from Tulsa. And um, his life with the Lord has really been enhanced with the idea of prayer and silent prayer, loving the Lord with his heart, that experience with God. Sometimes I've been mistrustful of this, to be honest, because I think that if I experience God, that feels very wishy-washy, or maybe I can miss it, or maybe I should just get back to reading the scripture. And please don't misunderstand. I think that reading the Bible is the most important thing that we can do. Getting that in our heart and mind will help us love the Lord with our whole selves. But there's a component that would be missing if all we did was read and study. What about these other things in the list of the Shema? My conversation with Matt today is going to help walk that out for us. What does it mean to love the Lord with your heart or your emotional self or with the immediacy that we can experience God face to face? What might that be like? I feel like his track record as a disciple, as a husband, as a father, as a college professor, as a college administrator has just shown me that he really knows who the Lord is and how to follow after him. And I'm so pleased to share a few minutes of conversation with him. Now, Matt is in Tulsa, Oklahoma, just like Dr. Lyons was, and the audio may not be quite as crystal clear as some of the ones that we can do locally. So please forgive a little bit, but I think that that extra effort to lean in and hear what he has to say will really bless you. We're going to talk what it means to love the Lord with our heart, this idea of prayer, some practical steps, and how you might go about incorporating a silent prayer life into your own devotional walk. What do you do when you feel like prayer doesn't work? And then at the very end, he'll share with us some resources for learning more about these ideas. At the end, I'll come back on and and recap some of those resources in case you miss them or if you're driving, and we'll try to provide some of those in the show notes for you as well, because these are resources worth getting worth walking out. Just like Dr. Lyons taught us that studying the word is a lifelong thing, so too is the study of prayer. So I hope that you enjoy this introduction with Dr. Matt Olson about what it means to love the Lord with your heart as evidenced in silent contemplative prayer. 
Well, welcome back to the Three Crosses podcast. Um, I'm Pastor Buzz, and I'm here with a very special guest, my friend, uh, colleague, former boss, mentor, Matt Olson. Matt, hello. hello. Matt, our listeners may not know you, but I'm really excited to have you join us today because of the lifetime that you've devoted to following the Lord, uh, making mistakes along the way, and trying to learn from those to hear his heart more clearly. So why don't you tell us a little bit about you and your family and what you're doing these days? Sure. Um, my name is Matt Olson, and uh, I work for Oral Roberts University, and I am the Director of Human Resources and the Title IX Coordinator here. Um, I worked as the Dean of Men uh, for 10 years, and I've been an adjunct professor now for, gosh, 16 years now. Um, I left and finished my master's, and I thought, if I could teach at the college level at some point in my life, that would be really, really cool. And uh, I started teaching it, and I still just fall in love with the uh, 18 to 22-year-old range. It's really great. I've been married uh, next month. It would be 25 years. Um, and uh, my wife and I have a son and daughter. Uh, my son is 21, and I just finished uh, college. And my daughter is a freshman in high school, and she thinks she's almost 21 in her head as well. Um, but we're also part of a uh, community of, of believers at uh, in the church here in Tulsa, and uh where we serve as elders, uh, overseeing the spiritual health of the church with our lead pastor team. That's a lot of things. But what jumped out at me was the mathematics of all of that. 25 years. What, yeah, no uh, what is Molly going to do for you for your 25th anniversary? Uh, man, I, I, what I love about her is just that uh, we continue to do a lot of nothing things together. And that makes it really special. So uh, it's not so much about the event, about as it is just a person. So we're going to probably for our anniversary, since it's in next month and it's the time that students come back, it's a horrible time to be uh, married um, or to get married. It's a great time to be married. Um, but uh, we'll probably, we're going to take a vacation in October as a family um, to celebrate our 25th anniversary together. So it's always nice to let the kids mooch in on the anniversary trip. I and think it's, it's, it's part of the, it's the whole deal, the package deal that being married and, uh, being with her, it's, uh, you don't just get one or the other, you one or the other, you get them all. So now you're uh, still in Tulsa at Oral Roberts university, which is my own alma mater. I studied there for four years, did my master's program there. And we worked together for five years, five of the longest wow. years of your life, almost. Um, <laughs> And so I'm so grateful that you've been able to join us from distance and hear a little bit about what the Lord is doing um, all the way in the Midwest, as well as yeah. in your own life. And um, I'm hoping that we can center a little bit of our conversation today around the idea of loving the Lord with all of our heart. On Sunday mornings at Three Crosses, we've been going through the Shema, Deuteronomy 6, uh, 4 through 9, about love the Lord your God with all your heart and mind and soul and strength as Jesus quotes it in the Gospel of Luke. And um, I thought of a person working with college students like you do, you know, whether it be in a professorial capacity or an administrative capacity, um, getting kind of a multi-generational look at loving the Lord with your heart. And so let me just ask you, Matt, like growing up, was it easier for you to love God with your heart? Was it easier to you, for you to love him with your head? What would you say is even the difference between those things as you understand it? Oh, absolutely. I didn't know what it meant to love the Lord with your heart um, 
because I approached the Lord. I came from a denominational background, um, emphasis on the scriptures. I was always frustrated when I would hear someone speak and a pastor speak, and he would use one scripture and talk about it. Because I, the, the history that I came from is he'd use five, six, seven strict scriptures and how they relate to each other. And so it was very much to me a very cognitive approach. I wanted to serve the Lord, and, and I could do that best by my mind. And I remember the first time that I felt like the Lord spoke to me, and I didn't realize it even then, um, but I was a freshman in high school, and I felt um, that the Lord, and I was running from the Lord, and I felt like he was He spoke to me and just said, the way, the path that you're leading on leads away from me. Um, and I didn't even really recognize that as the voice of God at that point, um, and because it was was foreign to me. So then I come to a charismatic university um, that has was probably the strength is in loving the Lord with all your heart. And so um, even the way I encountered the Lord there um, was really the Lord kind of shocked my system, if I can use that, into saying that you've done this so much cognitively. Let me show you the full encompassment of then what it means to not just love him love the Lord with my, my mind, but also with my heart. And so being involved with um, spirit-filled individuals all around me was, again, a shock to my system. And so I went and talked to a student leader, a mentor friend of mine, um, and he just asked me, he simply asked me, what do you know, freshman? And, uh, and I said, well, I know the scriptures. And he said, what does the scriptures say about God and the Holy Spirit? And so for me, it, it became a very cognitive approach through the scripture of, of understanding the Holy Spirit and, and understanding God. I didn't realize that at an 18-year-old, that that's a huge issue, to, difficult task ahead of you of saying, I've got to understand, I'm trying to understand the Lord with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. Guys, I, this, this is a lifetime of pursuit. So for me, it took in a, in a room alone, because one of the, the things that I, the critiques that I would have about those who strictly follow the Lord with loving the Lord with only their heart is that they can be emotionally carried away at points and not um, engage the Lord fully with their mind as well. So sure. for so me, that's a, that's a pretty big criticism of the charismatic movement from many corners is that correct. it's not grounded enough in the scripture and that it's emotion based and experience based and not as permanentizing as a lifelong love of the scriptures, you know, cause when I'm hearing yeah. you talk about, you love the Bible and you want to hear the pastor use more Bible verses. That's a, that's a really good thing in many ways, but also I, I feel like you're kind of getting at the idea of it being an incomplete approach. So you can't have one without the other. James Bryant Smith in a book called the spiritual formation workbook, he talks about the six different spokes of a wheel talking about the traditions of faith that he would in charismatic is one of them. Um, Evangelical is another one of them, um, which is the love of the scriptures. Social justice is another. Contemplation is another. Holiness and incarnational. All of those six different components, each different segment of the, the body of Christ, certain different denominations or non-denominations, um, do certain parts of those well. But he suggests that you need to have all of these in well-roundedness to be a fully mature Christian. So then that's kind of, he's using those six spokes, but that's reminding me of the Shema itself, that you love the Lord with your heart and mind and soul 
and everything within you. There's kind of that same feel that with, if you don't have the full spectrum of things, you're not completely loving the Lord with all that you have. Yeah. And, and for me, when I, when I was introduced to those spokes, man, my lowest by far was contemplation because it's not something that, that we really talk about in a, in a Western culture of these ideas of silence and solitude and meditation. Um, yeah, so perhaps so much so, Matt, maybe you want to give us a little bit of a brief definition about what you mean by contemplation. Sure. The, the contemplative tradition is one that was started in the first century AD when the Rome started to crack down on the Christian church. And you could probably even tell it even better than I, but they spread it to the, the far ends of the, of the earth. And it was really the point where there wasn't a lot of community. There wasn't a lot of worship or even scriptures that they had. So all that they would have was this themselves and silence. And so they talk about the desert mothers and fathers who would run to the desert and caves so they wouldn't be murdered. And that's how the contemplative tradition kind of began. And it's in this traditions of silence and solitude and uh, meditation to the point where it is a very in, um, in, intuitive or um introspective uh, tradition that is very kind of quiet and not really, um, if you think of the opposite end being the charismatic, um, it's kind of the opposite end of that, very kind of subtle. Yeah, so many say that the contemplative tradition is best expressed by a rich, deep, and full inner life, something deep on the inside of you, between you and the Lord. Not a lot of other people involved, not a lot of motion or um, noise or expressive worship, but deep prayer and times of thinking about the scriptures, thinking about God and trying to engage with him personally. And, and we, I would, I would suggest that if you know that one individual or the, those other individuals where you just walk away, go, gosh, they just know the Lord or they have a depth of maturity with the Lord. I would venture to say, that they probably have a strong contemplative practice that they utilize on a regular basis. I remember on our men's retreat this year, uh, which unfortunately you didn't have the privilege to join me at, but some of our listeners may have done. And our, our speaker, Hugh Halter was uh, speaking a little bit about the Celtic missions movement and how it began with these Christians basically would lock themselves away in what amounts to a hut and just pray and seek God for what their mission was going to be. And when they felt like, they had prayed enough and heard the Lord, then they would strike out by basically sailing into the ocean on a, on a round disc and make land and just trust God that that's the way that it was. And that's kind of the contemplative Celtic route, praying, seeking God, and then striking out in faith, yeah. which is very different than the type of movements that I grew up in and very different than the way that I normally operate in my life. You know, I want a lot of um, scriptural basis. And I want a lot of confirmation and I want a lot of science and I want a lot of wisdom and to just go and move and respond to the felt voice of the Lord seems very over emotional or what happens if we miss God or how do you know it's God speaking and not just your own desires? So how would you respond to somebody who's asking you, you're talking a lot about this inner life and contemplation and even things like hearing the voice of the Lord. How do you know when God is really leading you in a way? And how do you know when it's just your own opinion and your own desire, or maybe just you making a mistake? How can we discern and what are the stakes in such a decision? Well, 
I can probably best describe the, the way that I stumbled into the contemplative tradition. Um, in a matter of probably two weeks, four of my closest friends, mentors, individuals, um, all basically began to betray me and question my integrity and my work ethic. And really, um, it was a tumultuous time to the point where I was so frustrated that I, I couldn't even really speak um, when I would go in to pray because I was so angry, so confused, so frustrated. And I would even said to the Lord, Lord, if, they, if there's something that I'm not seeing, would you please show me my error? And I felt like the Lord was just silent. And so I would sit in a prayer room many times in tears to the point where I'd say, Lord, I don't know what's going on. And I would just sit there in silence until I felt sane enough or healthy enough or together enough to go and continue to do my job. Um, And I had to do that on a regular basis every day. And it was, it was during that process that I began to see other areas of my life change. Um, it is not transactional. People would go and say, and you you went to the, the prayer room or the prayer tower for 30 minutes. What did the Lord tell you? Nothing. My response would be, he didn't say anything. And they're like, well, then why do you do it? And I said, I just feel him there. I feel his presence. And I would notice, you know, later, three, six months later, that I'm, I'm a better husband to my wife. Um, I'm a better father to my children. And it... There's a saying that says a rising tide lifts all boats. And so I look at this as spiritual maturity in these contemplative traditions that would actually increase the spiritual maturity of me on many different components, not just in my prayer life or not just in my hearing the voice of the Lord. And it really became, um, I became more mature in all aspects and not just in the transactional ones that, that I would see. So in other words, there wasn't a moment or there wasn't a voice of God written in the clouds or anything particular that was life-changing. It was a slow and steady journey and that you kind of were changed and formed along the way, even if you didn't realize it was happening. It was very imperceivable. I, I, I didn't realize that it was happening. But even, even in my major sin issues, I would look back and go, oh, wait. Hey, that's not as much of an issue for me anymore. And I would be legitimately surprised at the maturity that I was seeing in myself. And I was, it took me a longer time to realize that the only thing that I had changed was the time that I would sit in silence with the Lord during this period of time. It seems almost backwards that to follow the Lord better, you had to do less. You know, yes. I feel like often we encourage each other to read the Bible more, pray more, worship more, spend more time at church, get more involved in service. But that wasn't really your experience, was it? Like you didn't pray verbally more. You sat silently more and received more. Have I understood you correctly in that? Completely. And that's where I, I did ministry. I was in ministry before I came into higher education. I I did. I'm a researcher. I, I've earned my... I have an earned doctorate. I did all these things of very activity. I am an activity guy. And so I look at this thing and it was, it really short circuited my, my whole system. And it kind of, again, I, the only thing that I can see that has done differently is me sitting in silence with the Lord. And so one of the phrases that I, I 
use, I don't know if it's correct, is I just engage the presence of the Lord. And every time I do that, it's a little bit different to do that. So engaging the presence of the Lord is not a very specific term. I don't feel like you designed it as such, but what if somebody's listening and they think, you know what, like I've tried working, I've tried doing, I've tried memorizing, I've tried, and I'm tired of running. I'd like to try that idea of silent prayer. What are some first steps that you might um, suggest to somebody like that? First thing that I do is I get into place where I can be, it's free of distractions. You will never be free of distractions, but less, less, the least amount of distractions. And really, then I just be, I start by becoming aware of my surroundings. Um, I start to hear the air conditioning moving on or the sound of cars going by or even my children laughing in the, the background or even the hum of, of a TV in, my, in, in the living room or, or whatever. I become very aware of just the things around me. Um, I usually sit with my eyes closed. Um, I don't use music anymore. Um, I don't, not that I have anything wrong with, with music or even worship. Um, but if I have any type of music, it's, it's made more ambient music, just without lyrics and without a melody, just kind of ambient. Um, and then I just start to really ask the Lord to reveal himself to me in that moment. Um, and I start to be, because I'm, I'm aware of my surroundings, um, I just kind of sit there and, and ask the Lord to reveal himself to me. And uh, sometimes it is very clear and other times it's not. And so it's not the, oh my gosh, did you feel that? No, I just sit here and I, when my mind wanders, I bring it back to the Lord and I just say over and over again, you know, I would say the Lord's name or I would say nothing or I would just focus on my breathing. Um, but each time it's slightly different um, to be able to really just engage the Lord. And again, that's why I said that's the best thing that I know how to do because I don't know what it is. So it's a little difficult to talk about these things because they are amorphous or individualized. Maybe one could say that how it looks for you is a little different than how the Lord has wired me. But as a beginning person, you know, sometimes you go into something and you're going to try this. I'm going to sit in silence. I'm going to try to do what Matt said on that podcast and I'm going to focus on my breathing or whatever. What should they expect after the first session? Sure. Like, they should expect on, during their first sex, session that their mind would wander. And one of the things that we don't do well enough is reflect. And so I try to utilize my drive times to reflect. Um, like if I'll go exercise, I'll usually listen to a podcast or listen to music. But my drive time every day is used in reflection so that my mind can wander things that I need to let go and leave at the office or things that I need to, oh yeah, I got to do that again. Um, and so many times- so Reflection, doing, you're kind of speaking about reflection just as letting your mind kind of think about what it wants to think about, process and unplug itself when you're correct. done? Yeah. And that's, okay, and so then this prayer time is not that then. So you've already processed mentally so that you can go into your prayer time almost more clear-headed. Correct. And so that's that's the engaged- part of allowing my brain to not distract itself. Um, and really what I should expect is um, that you almost feel slightly, um, I, I wouldn't encourage people to do it for an hour the first time. I would probably say set a timer for five minutes to uh, go go five days a week at just five minutes a day. Then go 15, um, try to do 15 minutes and then try to do a half an hour 
just to get to the point where you're more aware of the Lord around you. And then, then there are certain things that I would do is I would just begin to ask the Lord, Lord, this is something that is on my heart. What would you say? And I would just sit there and listen to the Lord, not so much speak to the Lord of saying, here's what my intercession is, while intercession is critically important and good, but to be able to say, this is a concern that I have for the Lord. What would you say about that? And the Lord will do one of two things. He'll either tell me or he won't. And so if he does, then my question then is, Lord, what then shall I do about that? And if he doesn't, I'm engaging with him and I'm listening to him. It's basically me fine-tuning, listening to the Lord um, in, in the silence of what I do. It's just trying to, to clearly hear him. And again, it is not working harder to it. It's less, it's resting into it. It's almost kind of funny when you say something like, he'll either tell me or he won't. What other choice is there? And I feel exactly. like we, we approach prayer always to hear from God. But as I've grown in my prayer life, sometimes I feel like I almost, this is a little bit weird, but I almost prefer when the Lord doesn't give you a firm and a clear direction because it keeps you relying on him and not on your own strength. I think if we knew the checklist that God would hand down to us, we would so easily revert back into overworking and performing and trying to lean in on our own strength again. I got what I need to get from you, Lord. Okay, I'll need you next time I need you. But for me... Yeah, like you're filling up at a filling station, gassing up your car, you know, and prayer's not really like that, at least not in the way that you're speaking about it. And so kind of as a way of fleshing out this idea of your prayer life, you're talking about silent contemplative prayer. Is there a time for your own prayer request time or a more active verbal prayer? Is, do you see that as a totally separate discipline? You should do that at a different time. Is that something that silent prayer moves into? Or have you yourself totally replaced that more active asking God type prayer with this type of silent prayer that you're walking? I, I would, if I had to lean, I'd probably lean on the, the, the latter of that. Because I, I look at the provision of the Lord. If I can use, utilize that as the hand of the Lord. He said, yeah that he would, he would provide for us. Uh, I was young and now I'm old and I've never seen a righteous forsaken or their children begging bread. So he will provide for us. His hand will be with us, which is great. And then the second thing that I sought for is the voice of God. Lord, would you speak to me? Would you direct me? And he says, man, my steps are ordered. I have it written on my board right now across my office. Ordered. So my steps are ordered. So I don't have to worry that I'm going to screw this up because what I really want is his face. And when I have the face of God, I have his hand and I have his voice. And so it becomes less important that he direct me. And as crazy as that sounds for me to say, I care less about what the Lord has for me to do because I want to be with the Lord. Yeah, so let's let's unpack that a little bit. You use some analogies there that I really love and I want to make sure we don't miss them. You say, when you seek the face of the Lord, you get also his hand and his voice. What do you mean by the face of the Lord and the hand of the Lord and the voice of the Lord? What do those images represent? Sure. To to me, the hand of the Lord is the provision of the Lord. What does he have? Am I going to be able to survive? Am I going to be able to provide for my family? Am I going to be able to have a job? Those provision processes of it. And that's where many things God does for you. Correct. It's kind of like his Yep. Okay. It's, and then the, the voice of God is more of what I see as the direction of the Lord. 
do I, how do I do this right? How do I not screw up? And how do I follow what you have for me? Um, and that was much of my, my college years. And even probably for the last, until the last probably five to 10 years ago, not even 10 years ago, but five to six years ago. Um, when I, like what job should I take? What major should I, who should I marry? Where should I, should live? I take this new job? Like should I, I don't, I'm not happy with this job, but I still need the, the hand of the Lord. But Lord, so tell me, Lord, what do you want me to do? And we would sit, and at least I would, I would sit and belabor, what is your plan for my life, Lord? And I would, it would, it would so make me so afraid of missing the Lord that I would almost be, be more happy not doing anything because then at least I didn't screw it up because, and I would be ground to inactivity. Um, but, but then it really is, what I want is the face of God or the intimacy of the Lord, the, the presence of God, um, that to me is the is the echelon of what I want. I want that's my pinnacle because when I have the presence of the Lord and not just in prayer time, I I do that throughout my day. It's kind of fun for me to to test the Lord um, to say, okay, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me in this situation? Quick story: I had a woman who was very very angry with me because I disciplined her son. Um, he deserved discipline, and I disciplined him. Um, as the dean of men, she was very, very, very angry with me because I disciplined her son to the point where she was yelling at me and screaming at me and, until she, I, we hung up the phone and I said, Lord, would you reveal yourself to me here? How are you going to do this? And he just really very clearly showed me a little bit of her pain. And I saw that as an expression of her pain rather than her anger at me. So the next time she called... Yes, I, I actually told her that I was going to hang up on her. But at the end of the call, I made it more clear to her. I was like, man, I'm, I'm sorry that you feel this way, but I care about you and I care about your son. And because I felt like the Lord engaged me, I engaged the Lord in that, he shared with me his voice because of that situation. Did you hang up on her, though? I did. That's she, what we all want to know. She was still angry. I said, man... I will, I will allow, I will talk with you. I'll take every phone call with you. But if you're going to shout at me, I'm not going to listen to you. So I, I'm going to hang up now. And I did. I, I told her I was going to hang up and I did. I wonder if God treats us that way sometimes. Like he hangs up on us because we're just too angry and have too much to say. And we can't take a half a minute to listen to his wisdom. And he just hangs up. Maybe that's why we don't hear from him as much. Funny, funny story. End of that story is probably about nine months ago, um, I get a, I'm, I'm at a conference and I get a phone call saying, hey, there's a package for you. And it was a box of chocolate. And so and it was from this lady. And I was like, what the heck? And so they put it in the refrigerator to keep it, to keep it cool. Um, but I came back and she, in her note, she's like, I apologize. Just want to say I apologize for my actions to you. Um, I treated you poorly and will you forgive me? Um, and I was... That, that was like four years after it happened. Probably even closer to five or six. Yeah. Sometimes God takes a while to work on yeah. people's hearts. Four or five years, but it's worth. Yeah. So coming back to our analogy, just making sure we don't miss it. This is a story of getting God's face, his relationship, intimacy, knowing who he is, and seeking that above seeking his hand, which you're speaking about as things God does for us, or his voice which is ways that God leads us and directs us. 
But you said that if we seek his face, we get his hand and his voice as well. So in other words, if you're intimate with the Lord and you know him personally and you have that rich, vibrant relationship, the Lord is still providing for you and he is still directing you, just perhaps less head on as you might have thought that as you keep in step with him, a verse I've been thinking a lot about the last two years is in uh, Galatians five, that since we have been set free by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit. Yeah, And that's kind of what I hear you saying as you seek God's face, keeping in step with him and the things he has for you, you're going to end up going the way that he wants and God will provide for you on the way there. And the thing is, he doesn't always tell me. And so there's sometimes where I still fall back in this, God, what are you doing? And it really comes back into whenever the Lord the, the, the biggest thing that he'll say to me, and when I, when I just say, Lord, what are you doing? He's like, I have you. I have you. And he, and he says that over and over to me to the point where I'm like, okay, I trust you, Lord. I don't see what you're doing. And it becomes less important that I know what he's doing. But because he's shown himself faithful for so many years of my life that I can trust when I do not understand. When, when it, then it goes into, if I... I trust him, but he's, he's not sharing this with my mind. So therefore, I've got to trust him with my soul and my heart. Hmm. In other words, God's track record is so good that even if you are not in the loop, you can still go with Absolutely. it. Absolutely. Even if I don't know and it's confusing and it makes me mad and, and I'm, in, I'm in pain and it's frustrating and I don't like it, I go, Lord, I, I trust you. I trust you. And many times it ha- I, ha- I use that silent meditation to really help me calm down in my frustration because I still deal with junk. I still deal with decisions that I totally disagree with from administration. I totally disagree with certain things. And I was like, okay, Lord, I trust you that you can use a broken men and women like me to bring about your kingdom. You're talking about the track record of the goodness of God, even in some hard times. And I just am, struck by the thought that we may have some listeners who feel like God hasn't really been good to them and that they can't really trust his track record for whatever reason. They've Maybe they feel like they've tried prayer or they've tried church or they've tried the Bible or they've tried these things and they just didn't get the result they wanted, for lack of a better way to say it. How would you encourage somebody like that that feels like God hasn't been good to me. I can't really trust him with my soul or my life or my direction. How would you encourage that person to go forward with prayer? I think there's a process of gratitude, which sounds counterintuitive when you don't have anything to be grateful for. Um, one of my pastors, who a uh, good friend of mine, um, he shared a story that his wife passed away. Uh, he had four young children. Um, so he's a single father now. Um, they stopped, dropped insurance when his, right before his wife was diagnosed with cancer because they were, they were struggling financially. Um, and so now he's like $40,000 in debt, struggling with it, gets, the, gets a electricity turnoff notice. And so he's complaining to the Lord, Lord, I'm in ministry. This is the way you treat me. And, and he really gave the Lord what for. And he felt like the Lord says, can you thank me for the lights? He said, you, you're supposed to get a turn-off notice, and it's supposed to be turned off yesterday. Your lights are still on. You still have electricity. Can you thank me for the lights? And so he lost it. He said, you want me to thank you 
for the electricity that is supposed to get turned off. And he's like, yeah, I want you to think, can you thank me for the lights? He said, some, he said, okay, Lord, I thank you for the lights. He said something broke in him then to realize what he deserved and what he got were two totally different things. So what we, what I deserve, I deserve separation from the Lord and death. I don't get that. Oh, dear Lord, thank you. I deserve death. So therefore, suffering is better than death. So then if I can just suffer because I don't, because I deserve to die, that's great. But then he gives me certain things. And that unmerited gratitude, Michael Iaconelli says, that is the key that keeps you from spiritual arrogance and spiritual depravity. To start with gratitude. So that's where I would, I would encourage. Um, to just start with gratitude. If you can thank him for the electricity that you have in, in your house at that, that moment. Yeah, that reminded me a lot of in the book of Romans six twenty three or three twenty three. Excuse me. The wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Christ Jesus our Lord. And so Thank that's you. where I start. I start there with what do I deserve, and I and He's given me great mercy. So that can, that starts me in the thank you, Lord, for your mercy. And then I ask, what has He given me that I don't deserve? Oh, that's His grace. Oh my gosh, you are so good to me. You give me good things that I don't deserve. Oh Lord, you don't give me what I do deserve and you give me what I don't deserve. That's grace and mercy. And so that's that's where for me it starts the whole process. Hmm. So a hurting heart needs to begin by trying to be grateful. And it hmm. and that doesn't that doesn't diminish the pain or the suffering or the reality. It's not saying Oh, this is, I'm not experiencing this. Nope. Lord, I am. This is painful and it's frustrating. But it's it's where I think of Job. Yet, though you slay me, yet will I praise you. Yeah. I, I think a lot of times in my upbringing or college years and following, perhaps I should say, that a lot of the movements I was involved in would almost make you feel like if you told the truth about how you were hurting or how you were suffering, it was almost a lack of faith because you were showing right. a lack of gratitude. So I think about your friend's story and he's lost his wife and he, you know, has all this debt and medical bill and almost the idea that if he actually hurts about that, like, aren't you grateful for what God has given you? You know, and I think that's overshooting the mark. Like, of course you can yeah. be sad and grieve that your wife passed. And of course you can cry out to the God, to God for your financial need. Like you have four kids that you need to take care of. You know, I can't imagine what would happen to me and the boys if Tara were to have something happen to her. And so there's a way, I I love how you put it, that you can tell the truth about how you're hurting and yet still be grateful and live in a little bit of that tension. Um, And then also to not be arrogant with what you have and look down on those that are hurting or maybe don't seem to be as far along as you are. And the beauty, I think that that, and the beauty of engaging the presence of the Lord is that he doesn't always give you the provision. He doesn't always give you the direction. But, but even in the suffering, he is present. Paul talks about, I want to know him, the power of his resurrection, the fellowship of his suffering becoming like him unto death. There is fellowship that the Lord gives to those who are in the midst of suffering. He doesn't rescue them necessarily. And that's where the denominations I feel have missed it, where you're like, well, if you're suffering, then you don't know the Lord. I don't know if I agree with that. Yeah. I don't know if the Lord 
Lord does that. It makes me think of Psalm 23, that though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, you are with me. Oh, absolutely. You didn't take me out of the valley. You are with me and you guide me and your rod and your staff, they comfort me. But you're still in the valley. Absolutely. And that's the, that's the presence of the Lord to say, Lord, I know that this is painful. I know that this is difficult. I hate this, but I thank you that you are with me and the fellowship that you have given to me is so much worth more. The suffering that I experienced through the betrayal of those four men, I would take that 10 times over because of what he taught me in the intimacy of his fellowship of that suffering. Yeah, that's good. We're coming a little bit to the end of our time, Matt, and I'm going to put you on the spot here because you can take it, I guess. (laughs) Um, Our listeners are listening to this perhaps, and they're thinking, you know, this is great. I want to learn more what it is about contemplative prayer and discipline of silence and these types of things Matt is talking about. Is there a a book or a resource that you might direct people to and say, this is a good starting point for somebody that wants to continue to think about these topics that we're sharing today? Sure. I I referenced it earlier, but the Spiritual Formation Workbook uh, by James Bryant Smith. Um, I think he's out of Kansas, if I remember correctly. Um, But it talks about these fully rounded believers. And he's got an entire chapter on the contemplative uh, tradition. Um, celebration of disciplines, uh, Richard Foster does have segments in there talking about, uh, those types of disciplines. And, and I, I think me growing up in the, the church that I did always, those disciplines always scared me off because it felt so, uh, working up into, um, but <laughs> don't be scared off by the discipline of silence or the discipline of meditation, um, I would, I would even just do a simple Google search of, of contemplative practices. Um, there is whether there is going through the exam and, um, or walking a labyrinth or doing Lectio Divina or um, the examine prayer um, or even breath or centering prayer. Uh, all of those are different traditions that are just practices that people practice. And that's the whole nature of it is just you're not going to be good at it at first, but practicing how to do those um, are trans for me were transformative. Yeah. Well, Matt, thank you so much for taking some of your time to speak to us about what you've learned from pursuing the Lord through silent and meditative prayer. Um, man, it's been an encouragement and refreshment for me, honestly, even to spend these last 40 minutes with you to think like, man, maybe I do need to just relax and thank God more and work on my problems less. And in that upside down yeah. way of the kingdom, I feel like God will be glorified it, in that. So thank you for that encouragement for it me. Is completely, it is completely upside down from what I have ever learned or taught, um, been taught. It's just, it is actually doing more by doing less. Yeah. The way of the cross is a way of suffering and a way of honoring God who does everything when we could not do it ourselves. That's exactly right. What a great man. He does it. That is good news of the gospel. We can't do it, but God is faithful. Yep. Matt, again, thank you so much. And uh, I look forward to continuing to speak to you and seeing you again soon, hopefully at a barbecue restaurant, something that you and I both enjoy very much. There there are ribs from Burnco in my refrigerator right now, which I will have for leftover dinner tonight. Um, Thou shalt not covet thy neighbor's (laughs) Burnco ribs. 
if our listeners are out in Tulsa, you've got to go to Burnco. You've got to do it. If you're not in Tulsa, you've got to travel to Tulsa and go to Burnco. You've got to do it. And, Don't and they just time. opened up another another branch, so it's too close to my house. So oh I my just goodness! Do it. I'll pray for you and your self control, and that's why you're <laughs> so you don't go. You live like a half a mile from Fat Guy's Burger Bar, like my favorite place, and now three miles, I think, from Burnco, which is yep. my favorite barbecue place. And oh man, oh man, I'm getting hungry just thinking about it. I am too. <laughs> so, Matt, thanks again, and I will talk to you soon. Absolutely, talk to you later, buddy. I'm so grateful that Matt was able to share his time and his talents and his experiences with God with us. And I'm so grateful that you decided to spend the last 40 minutes of your day listening with us. And I pray that it has been instructive at helping you understand what it could look like to love the Lord a little bit more with your heart, with your emotional self, with silence, with letting go, with letting the Lord fill you with himself. Matt referenced a few resources that he recommends for you if you'd like to take a, a little bit more of a journey after this. And weren't you struck a little bit by the fact that even something like silence takes work? It almost feels like silence or letting go should be a very natural thing, but it's so hard to pry our fingers off of that steering wheel and to let the Lord speak into that empty space in our life. We still feel like if we're not working and running and doing and going that we might be doing it wrong. And that's why I feel like these spiritual disciplines can help us unwind from that stress and that pressure and, like Jesus said, drink from streams of living water. So one of those resources that he mentioned is called a Spiritual Formation Workbook. It's by an author named James Brian Smith. And this is a workbook that you can even go through with a small group. And perhaps you'd like to gather a few friends around yourself and experience together what it might be like to pray more and listen more and be more contemplative and try a little bit more silence. Get out into nature and see what God is doing out there and experience him in the wild, something like this. This book will help you to do that. There's also that really classic volume by Richard Foster called Celebration of the Disciplines. And this book breaks down 12 or so different things that you can do, things like silence or confession or solitude or giving or celebration. That might be my favorite discipline. Just having fun once in a while, celebrating what the Lord has done. Richard Foster is really well known and kind of a giant in the field. And so that's a certainly a, a great one for you to check out if you are interested in understanding a little bit more about what it means to pursue the Lord through spiritual disciplines. One of my favorite books that I discovered in college was by John Ortberg, who actually is out here in the Bay Area, and his book is called The Life You've Always Wanted. And it's a little bit more of a practical approach to spiritual disciplines, an easy read, but a rich one, using a lot of illustrations and stories about how you can incorporate these spiritual disciplines into your daily life and get the life you've always wanted, a rich and full life with Jesus Christ, not one saturated by work and always feeling guilty that I should have read my Bible more. I don't think that's what God has called us into. I think he's called us into abundant life. There is work to do to get there, to open our lives and hear what he has to say. I hope this podcast has helped you to do that. If you still have questions or need some encouragement or maybe even some prayer, please reach out. My email is buzz at threecrosses.org, B-U-Z at the numeral three crosses.org. And I'd love to pray for you, or I could even connect you to Matt or a group around the church that can help lift you up. 
We believe that God is moving and that you can experience life transformation through following him. Isn't that good news? You can't do it, but God can do it for you. What a mighty God we serve. So grateful that you've spent your time with us today. And may you experience Christ so richly this week. 